Okay, uh, we're going to continue today on the subject of authority. You know, we started out a little while back on the subject of authority, and we're going to continue along that line today. Let's turn to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, verse 1. Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. Let's say, say this out loud. Power and authority, Power and authority. over all demons, all demons and all disease. And all disease. Now the, the King James here says over all devils. Actually there's only one devil and many demons. Uh, and diseases are obviously a part of the work of the devil and the curse that came on this earth uh, is a result of Adam's sin. But we have been given power and authority over them uh, in the name of Jesus. So we've been given power and jurisdiction over all demons, the works of the devil, and everything that comes under the curse that's on the earth. Now the term uh, jurisdiction uh, means the territory or sphere of activity over which the legal authority of a court or other institution extends. So a, a judge in a court has a jurisdiction. They have a, a sphere of territory that they, uh, you know, are uh, authorized to make and enforce laws over. So that's their jurisdiction. Uh, a judge in Surrey probably doesn't have jurisdiction in Yorkshire. You know what I mean? So he, he only has authority in Surrey and so forth. I don't know exactly how that works here, but probably something like that. But the institution that we represent on the earth is the kingdom of God. And our authority extends over any territory that affects us. Any, any, any place, that uh, any activity that is affecting us, any demonic activity that's affecting us, we have authority over it in the name of Jesus. Amen? So we're not just limited um, to, us, to a geographical area. It's wherever we are that's affecting us we have jurisdiction and authority uh, in that situation. So let's look the next chapter, Luke 10. Luke 10, verse 1. After these things, the Lord appointed other seventy also and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place whether he himself would come. So uh, these 70 disciples, Jesus sent out 70 more after the 12, uh, and he gave them authority over all demons and diseases, just like the original 12. So now there are 82 disciples plus Jesus going around exercising authority over the devil and diseases. And uh, as you know, on the day of Pentecost, this number of disciples went into the thousands. So in one day, several thousand more uh, believers were authorized and empowered um, over the works of the devil. So, uh, verse 17, And the seventy returned again with joy, saying, 
Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. Uh, you'll notice that when they came back and reported to Jesus that they weren't scared. They weren't scared of their uh, encounters with the devil and demons and sickness and disease. They were actually excited that uh, the devil and diseases were subject to them as a representative of Jesus. There are many Christians that don't know they have authority over demons uh, because they've never been taught or they've been taught wrong. Or there are other Christians like the Sadducees um, in the Bible who just don't believe in the spirit world. They don't believe in angels. They don't believe in demons. They don't believe in, in any of the unseen realm. If they can't see it or feel it, they don't believe in it. So you've got these two different groups of people. Either they don't know uh, about the spirit realm, uh, they've never been taught about it, they just lack knowledge of it, or they've been taught wrong, uh, or they just don't believe in it full stop. But John 4.24 says that God is a spirit. So, so in order to believe in God, you would have to believe in the unseen realm. You would, you would have to believe uh, in the spirit realm because there are numerous references in the Bible to the Holy Spirit, to angels, and to demons. We know, uh, you know, over in Matthew 4, when Jesus went out into the wilderness and he was tempted by the devil, the devil talked to Jesus and Jesus talked to the devil. So uh, Jesus had to personally deal with the devil. We know that when, uh, when the Roman soldiers came to arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, Jesus said, I could call 12 legions of angels to come rescue me. So Jesus obviously knew they were real, or he, he, he knew they were real and he could call on them uh, if he wanted to. So the devil and, uh, and angels were not just a part of his imagination. Jesus knew they were real. Uh, I think one problem is, you know, Hollywood has produced so many films, uh, you know, about Satan and evil and so forth, and they always usually depict him as some gigantic monster, you know. Um, and Obviously, that's what the devil wants. You know, if the devil's writing the movie script, he's going to project himself as big and powerful and mighty. And that's the way he wants people to see him. Um, how many of you have ever seen the original Wizard of Oz with Judy Garland? Okay. Uh, when I was growing up small, uh, they used to come on about once a year. And for a long time, I never saw it all the way through. I just kind of saw maybe a third of it. And for some reason, I never saw the end of it. Most of the time, it scared me, you know. And I know whenever that wicked witch would come in, I'd run out of the room. And then I'd look around the, the corner into the living room to see if she was gone, you know. And as soon as she was gone, I would go back in because I thought that was really creepy. Um, so for some reason, I never saw it all the way through till uh, you know a lot later. Uh, but I want to show the last few scenes, the last scene of that film. I found it. It's just about the last minute and a half because <clears throat> I think it so accurately illustrates how Satan operates. And I think about, I've thought about that film many times when I think about Satan and how he operates. Actually, that whole film, you know, uh, 
Judy Garland and her friends, I think actually it was a dream, you know, uh, that she had this dream, but they were on this journey to this place called Oz, and along the way they encountered all these obstacles and all these, uh, the witch, the haunted forest, all these obstacles and things to, to put them off from getting to this land of Oz. And they, they, they were, you know, you can think the witch tried to scare them, the haunted forest tried to scare them, the whole, all throughout this film, uh, something came up to, to scare them, to try to make them turn and go back, if you remember. And if you think about it, the walk of faith is much like that. You know, whenever you step out and you believe God for something or, or he's uh, impressed you to do something uh, and you step out to do it, here comes Satan, you know, to try to scare you, to try to discourage you, to try to put obstacles in your path to get you, uh, to keep you from reaching your destiny. And that's a lot about what this film was about. All, everything to try to discourage this girl and her friends and get them to turn back. So I just want us to see just the last couple of scenes from that film. I think I can cut it here. didn't they? Was there, was there a real monster they were dealing with? <laughs> no. And folks, that's, that's the way the devil portrays himself. As soon as they found out, as soon as they realized there was no monster, there was actually a little man behind a curtain, they were no longer scared, were they? No. 
And, and folks, God has pulled the curtain back on the devil. Amen? He's shown us in his word. The curtain has been pulled back, and it's just a little man behind a curtain with nothing but a microphone and a smoke machine. And folks, that's what we're, when you get a revelation of that, if people had a revelation of that, they wouldn't be scared uh, every time somebody mentions the devil. The Word of God has already shown us the devil's future. In Revelation 20, it says this big angel is going to come down with a chain, and he's going to grab up Satan, and he's going to throw him in the bottomless pit and lock him up for a thousand years. And after that, he's going to be released for a short time. Also in Isaiah 14, uh, regarding the future, the curtain is going to be pulled back on Satan. And people are going to see him for who he really is, just like this film clip. Uh, and people, it says in Isaiah 14, when people see Satan, they're going to say, you mean that little thing deceived the nations? That little thing scared me. <laughs> that little thing kept me from stepping out and believing God. But we don't have to wait till then because the Word of God has already shown us the little man behind the curtain. Amen. Hallelujah. Satan is a fallen angel who has been stripped by Jesus and reduced to zero. And he's afraid of believers who know they have authority over him. Now, he's not afraid of Christians who don't know they have authority over him. But he's afraid of believers who know they have authority over him and they're exercising it. When we stand up against him, what does he do? He has to run, doesn't he? He has to flee. Amen. So, when are they going to make a movie that tells the truth? <laughs> That's what I'm waiting for. I'm waiting on a movie that tells the real truth and depicts the devil for who he really is. So here in Luke 10, 17, the disciples weren't scared when they returned uh, because they found out the demons were subject to them as representatives of Jesus. They said, Jesus, those demons did exactly what we told them to do. When we told them to stop, they stopped. When we told them to leave, they left. It was just the same as you talking to them. When Christians hear about the devil and demons, it should not scare them. We read in Ephesians 1, we won't turn there, but Ephesians 1, 20 to 23, tells us that Jesus has stripped Satan of all authority and put him under our feet. We are sons of God created in Christ Jesus. All principalities, all powers have been put under our feet, subject to us in the name of Jesus. And that is the uh, key. The name of Jesus is the key. That's what they have to obey. That's why, uh, you know, unbelievers... He didn't have to obey them. It's the name of Jesus and the authority to use that name that he's scared of, and that's, what, uh, that's where the power is. Now in Luke 19, it says, Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Young's literal translation says, I give to you the authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and on all the power of the enemy and nothing 
shall hurt you by any means. So serpents and scorpions here are symbolic of the devil. Okay, serpents and scorpions symbolize the devil. Now in the King James Version, there are two words that are translated power. One word is the word dunamis. It's where we get our English word dynamite. And it refers to the miracle working power of God, the might and ability of God. The other word, often translated power, is the word exousia. And it actually should be uh, translated authority because it means the authority or the right to do something. But the King James Version is not very consistent in the way that it translates these two words. So a lot of times you'll see the word power and, and if you look it up, it's actually the word exousia that really should have been translated authority. So, uh, for example, if you're doing 60 miles an hour in a 30 mile an hour zone, the police have the authority to pull you over. They have been authorized by Surrey police, okay? Um, and they have a badge, they have a uniform, and uh, that authorizes them, and all the, the entire police department uh, stands behind them when they pull somebody over on the side of the road. The chief of police from Surrey doesn't have to come arrest somebody for speeding. He has authorized an officer out on the street with the same authority that he has. That policeman that pulls you over has the same authority as the chief of police down at the office. And we've got the same authority as all of heaven behind us. We got the same authority Jesus has. That's why Jesus doesn't have to come down here because we're here and we have his authority. Now it also helps if that policeman has about 200 pounds of muscle underneath that uniform, he not only has the authority to pull you over, he's got the power to pull you over. And if he's got a gun right here, he's got even more power to stop you. Amen? So you see how it works. So we have been authorized by Jesus and empowered by the Holy Spirit with authority over the powers of darkness. Now let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4, 27. Ephesians 4, 27 says, Neither give place to the devil. The Common English Bible says, Don't provide an opportunity for the devil. Don't provide an opportunity for the devil. So if the devil was really this overpowering monster, there would be no reason to tell us to give him no place because he would just come in at his will, overpower us, and we would be helpless to do anything about it. But when the Bible says give him no place, that means, uh, you know, we have the authority to shut him down and the power to shut him down in our affairs and he cannot just come overpower us at his will. Uh, let's turn uh, over a few pages to James chapter 4. James chapter 4, 
Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. God's Word translation says, So place yourselves under God's authority. Resist the devil, and he will run away from you. Now, I think we read uh, another translation that says, Stand up against the devil. That's what resist means. Stand up against the devil. And the way we resist him is with the words of our mouth. You remember last time we, we found out, we talked about how Jesus dealt with demons, how he dealt uh, with fevers and sickness and disease, but whenever Jesus uh, came across demons and, and people under demonic uh, activity, he did two things. You remember? Shut up, come out. Amen. And there's a lot of different ways you could say that. There are different variations on that. But that's the way we deal with demons. That's the way Jesus dealt with them. Shut up. Come out. Amen. So that's Jesus dealt with them with the words of his mouth. He commanded them to leave. And they did. So that's the way we deal with them. We command them to leave. We take authority over them. We cast them out. Now the understood subject here in uh, James uh, where it says submit yourselves to God. Um, the understood subject is you. You submit yourselves therefore to God. So when you place yourself under God's authority you're operating and his authority over the devil. Much like we used the illustration of the policeman, the policeman has the same authority as the chief of police down at the station. <laughs> so when we are operating in God's authority over the devil, he has to run. The voice translation says he will run away in failure. He will run away in failure. Now look back just over the page there at James chapter 2, verse 19. James 2, 19 says, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. So, um, the even the demons believe that there's only one God and they tremble. There are many religions out there that believe in many gods. Well, even the devil knows there is only one true God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and he trembles and the demons tremble. The Amplified Bible says, You believe that God is one, you do well to believe that. The demons also believe that and shudder and bristle in all-filled terror. They have seen his wrath. Demons have run into God before. Believe me, they, they, they're believers. They're not doubters. They're believers when it comes to believing that God is real. Demons have run into Jesus more than once. We've read, we read a few cases, uh, scriptures in the Bible the last time. And every time they think about God, they tremble. And folks, whenever we get up every morning, the devil should be trembling. Amen? When we get out of bed in the morning, the devil ought to be saying, uh-oh, they're up again. You know, we've had it. That's what they should be thinking every morning when we get up. So think about who is on the inside of you. We need to be God inside conscious, God inside me minded, and not God out in space 50,000 miles away somewhere else. God inside me minded. 
Uh, let's turn on over a few pages to 1 Peter. Just a few pages over to the right. 1 Peter 5, verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. This doesn't say the devil is a roaring lion. It says he walks about as a roaring lion. He tries to act like a roaring lion. Much like this little man behind the curtain was trying to act like this gigantic monster. And it was all deception. It was all deception. And that's the way Satan operates. That's the only way he can, can get anywhere is through deception. He has no other weapon. Jesus has stripped him of everything. That's why he has to operate by deception. Uh, I was listening to a, a Christian uh, radio broadcast on a website, and uh, it wasn't like a, a teaching type of, type of ministry, but they were talking along these lines um, about the Bible in, in this particular uh, program. And they were talking about how lions hunt out in the wild. And they were saying that, you know, the, the male lion with the, the mane and, you know, the big roar, he, when you think of a lion roar, that's what you think of this big, vicious male lion. And they were saying that actually out in the wild, the, the male lion is not the one who catches and devours and kills. They were saying, they, they say the male lions are too slow. The female lions are the faster ones. And they're the ones that actually chase and kill and devour. So the lions have this strategy worked out among them. So they come up on a herd of antelope, let's say, and the male lion will work his way around this end of the herd through the tall grass so they can't see him, and he'll, he'll sit in the edge of the grass out here on this end, and the female lions will scatter out on this end of the herd of antelope in the tall grass so nobody can see them. So the male lion will let out this almighty roar. I mean like, you know, this almighty roar. So what do you think happens to the antelope? They're scared. And what do they do? They run away from the roar. They run right into the pathway of all the females down here waiting for them. And they devour whomever they catch. And that's the way, that's the way they operate. What if the herd ran toward the roar? If they ran toward the roar, they would be running toward the male who's too slow to catch anybody. And they would be out of danger. So the danger is not running toward the roar. The danger is running away from the roar. Because they run right into the pathway of all the females right down here waiting for them. So I thought that was interesting. The way, um, you know, the way lions operate out in the wild. It's easy for the devil to devour Christians that don't believe he exists. Because they're certainly not going to uh, resist him. They're probably going to believe that you know, this test and trial is from God and he's trying to teach me something and I just need to be humble and uh, yield to the will of God. And this is one of the easiest ways that Satan deceives people uh, and he's able to devour them. So we're believing for other Christians to wake up out of their slumber and get a revelation from the word about who they are. And when they stand up against the devil in the name of Jesus, the devil does not rise up like a roaring lion. 
He runs away in terror with his tail between his legs. Let's say this together. When I resist him, he runs from me. Amen. Now we're talking about unseen influences. We're, we're talking about having authority over unseen influences. Uh, you know, in order for, for people to say that demons and the devil doesn't exist, you have to throw away entire portions of the Bible to believe that. The Bible talks about unclean spirits, seducing spirits, which is another name for uh, deceptive spirits, lying spirits, deaf spirits, dumb spirits, spirit of infirmity, and spirit of divination. Now, in our modern world today, you don't hear that term used, spirit of divination. The modern word for spirit of divination is fortune tellers, psychics, and palm readers. That's our modern day uh, category for spirit of divination. Uh, the Bible does not specifically mention them by name, but we know there are religious spirits and poverty spirits. <clears throat> These are uh, unseen influences that are operating through individuals or groups of people. And whatever spirit a person yields to, they take on the characteristics of that spirit. Uh, for example, pe people that yield to a lying spirit. If they continue to do that over and over, over a period of time, they take on that characteristic and they become habitual liars. Pathological liars. Same with poverty spirits. Same with religious spirits. Uh, you know, and uh, we won't turn there, but in Acts 16, you know, this girl had a spirit of divination. And there was a group of men that had her with them, and they were using her to make a lot of money. And they would take her from town to town, and she would tell people's fortunes. You know, much like today, people would pay for somebody to tell their fortune read their palm and all this. Uh, and so people would pay to have their fortune told and this, this girl would tell their fortune, read their palm or whatever. And these men were making a lot of money at this. So they had this revenue stream going here through this girl. And she started following Paul and Silas around uh, from place to place. And she would say, these men are servants of the Most High God showing us the way to salvation. Now what the demon said was true. But who wants a demon following you around from place to place advertising for you? You know, nobody wants a demon following them around saying these are servants of the Most High God showing us the way of salvation. And the Bible says she did this for many days. And one day Paul turned around to this girl and he said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And guess what happened? He went out immediately. This demon left this girl immediately. Now, it's interesting to note Paul did not cast this demon out on the first day. He didn't cast it out on the second day or the third day. I don't know how, how long this went on. The Bible just says many days. Now, probably the reason he didn't cast this demon out the first day or the second day is because he knew as soon as he cast this thing out of this girl, there's going to be a commotion. There's going to be trouble. And I think he wanted to...
to preach to as many people as he could as long as he could before the trouble started. And I think that's why he delayed and he put up with this girl following them around so that he could preach to as many people as he could for as long as he could. Because on the day he finally did turn around and cast the demon out of this girl, sure enough, the trouble came because the men who were using this girl to make money, all of a sudden, their revenues dried up. <laughs> They're out of business. And it made them very mad. So they take Paul and Silas to the authorities, and sure enough, they threw them in jail. So, everybody say, unseen influences. Unseen influences. Um, you take someone like Hitler, and there have been many other people like him throughout history, but you take someone like that, uh, even most believers, uh, unbelievers, uh, out in the world, uh, believe that he was influenced by unseen evil forces. I mean, this was not just a wayward boy. You know what I mean? This wasn't just a, a wayward boy. This uh, man, if you've ever watched any of his uh, speeches, film clips of his speeches, uh, the anger, the uh, viciousness, uh, the hatred in his voice, and also to see him speak, his face would become contorted, you know, with this rage uh, coming out of him. I mean, it affected his whole being. And you can tell this is coming out of his innermost being. I mean, he believed this with every fiber of his being. Uh, and these unseen influences also caused millions of people to follow him. And unfortunately, many of those billions of people were Christians. <clears throat> because uh, actually, many churches were already preaching anti-Jewish sermons long before Hitler ever came to power. They had already started the ball rolling with this anti-Jewish hatred and sentiment in the country. And by the time Hitler came to power, he recognized, you know, they had already started the ball rolling for him. And all he had to do was pick up the ball and run with it. Because the many churches had already started this anti-Jewish hatred and they just paved the way for him. So is it possible that Christians and even church leaders can yield to wrong spirits? Yes. Amen. We, we, we've seen it. Today, we see unseen influences from the world creeping into many churches. And people don't see anything wrong with it. They didn't see anything wrong with what was happening in World War II. But just like there are unseen forces that influence people for destruction, there are unseen forces for good. What would cause tens of thousands of people to come together in a football stadium to listen to a very simple message about God from a very simple man like Billy Graham? What would cause tens of thousands of people to pack out a football stadium? The Holy Spirit drawing people. The Holy Spirit drawing people. That's why we're here today. We have been drawn here by the Holy Spirit. And I can guarantee you, God is dealing with many other Christians about being here. But they got a little imp sitting on their shoulder that's whispering in their ear saying, you need to wash the car today 
and you need to cut the grass today, and you need to do this, and you need to do that, and you've got something more important to do. And they're yielding to it. Why? Because the devil doesn't want them to find out who they are. They don't, he doesn't want them to find out that they have authority over him. He doesn't want to lose control over their lives. He doesn't want to give that up. He doesn't want them to find out about the victorious plan of God he has for them. But we're believing that they're, that they're going to start yielding to the Spirit of God. Amen? We're just going to keep praying and believing. And one of the most important things we need to learn is what we should yield to and what we should resist. There are people yielding to sickness, believing that somehow it's a blessing in disguise and God gets glory from them being sick, and they should be resisting it. Then you got other people resisting the baptism in the Holy Spirit, resisting the laws of prosperity, and that's what they should be yielding to. So it's very important that we need to learn what to yield to and what to resist. Uh, we won't turn there, but in 1 Timothy 4, verse 1, it says... Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits or deceiving spirits and doctrines of devils. Uh, I've heard, you know, uh, other ministers mention, and I don't follow these people really, but I've heard them mention that there are some people preaching or injecting New Age religion into Christianity. And so um, we need to know what the Word of God says, folks. We need to know because this says in the latter times people are going to give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils and they will not even because it's a Christian atmosphere or whatever, they won't even question it. And, uh, you know, I think it's probably about the same here as it is in America, but right now, this generation as a whole is more ignorant about the Bible than any other generation in American history. The fewer people know about the Bible and what it says than any other generation since the founding of America. Uh, so that's why the Bible says be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary roars around as he, he roams around as a roaring lion, lion seeking who he may devour. So we have no reason to be afraid of the devil. He's actually afraid of us. We're making him nervous right now. Just our being here, finding out about him and finding out that we have authority over him is making him nervous because he did not want you to find out about this. Because we're not going to let him set up camp in our life anymore. We're going to stop his, his operation and activity everywhere we have jurisdiction. Now, in Mark 5... We won't turn there, but Mark 5, uh, it talks about the uh, man from Gadara, the madman from Gadara, you know, who was a demon-possessed man. It says he lived in the graveyard. Uh, every, all the attempts to restrain him, no one could. They would tie him up, they would chain him up or whatever, and so forceful were these demons within him, even chains could not restrain him. No one could restrain him. Uh, when you read that, it sounds as, as if he never even slept. I mean, these things just dominated his life 24 hours a day. He, he never even slept. The Bible says he cut himself with rocks. He cut himself. These demons caused him to cut himself. 
Now, in today's medical world, this condition still exists. And it's in the medical world, it's called self-mutilation. There are people who have this obsession with uh, inflicting harm on themselves. It's called self-inflicted harm or self-mutilation. And technically, it's classified as a mental disorder. But what would cause someone to cut themselves or to burn themselves or to injure themselves in some way? Unseen influences. Unseen influences causing these people's behavior. So when Jesus cast out, uh, when, when Jesus approached this demonic man, they recognized him and they spoke to him first. They said, who, you know, son of man, who are, have you come to, we know who you are. Have you come to torment us before the time? See, they know there's a time coming when they're going to be out. You know, their, their, their time's going to be up. And when Jesus cast the demon out of this man, the spiritual component causing this man's to harm himself and, and causing his physical and mental behavior, when Jesus dealt with the spiritual component behind that, his normal mind returned. But Jesus dealt with the spiritual component behind that. What it was it was unseen spiritual forces causing him to behave that way. And that's what Jesus dealt with was the spiritual component. The same is true in other areas. Satan keeps coming to people with suggestions and they eventually yield to it. Cheat on this, steal this, lie about this. And many people think these thoughts are just their own thoughts, and they're not. They're not their own thoughts. They're coming from unseen influences. And any child of God has the power and authority to resist them. Hallelujah. Um, I heard Brother Copeland say, uh, you never had an original thought. It either originated from God or it originated from the dark side. But there's no such thing as an original thought. And I thought that was good because it really helps you to, to see what we're dealing with. We can say no in the name of Jesus, shut up and come out. Amen? When we have these thoughts, thoughts and suggestions, we can say, shut up, Satan, I cast you out in Jesus' name. Amen? We don't have to put up with it. Anything that is depressive, deceptive, defeating, anything that leads to loss, these thoughts and suggestions are from the devil. Let's say this out loud. When I resist him, he runs from me. Amen. What about thoughts and feelings from God? Peace, love, joy. That's what we want to yield to. When you start to feel sorry for yourself, start praising God. Yield to the Holy Spirit. Strength will come into you. Unseen influences from God. Because that's what we're yielding to. When we yield to that, that's what the, the, the Spirit of God and all those fruit of the Spirit within us, they come forth and they strengthen us. Um, let's turn to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. <clears throat> Verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, 
that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Was Judas influenced by the devil? Yeah. He was influenced by the devil. Now, some people have said, well, somebody had to betray Jesus, and uh, it really wasn't Judas's fault. He had no choice about it. There are other people who have said, uh, well, G Jesus and Judas had this understanding between the two of them that, okay, you're going to do this, I understand, it's got to be done, I approve of it, you know. No, not true. In that case, he wouldn't have poured into the pit, would he? Not true. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he wouldn't have killed himself, would he? Yeah. So, not true. In Acts 1, it says, Judas, by transgression, fell. Judas did not have to betray Jesus. His eyes were open to him. Nobody, nobody ever had to yield to the devil. Nobody ever had to yield to the devil. It's a choice. Now, we don't know. The Bible doesn't say. But it could be that Judas was not the first person the devil ever approached about this. He could have approached other people about betraying Jesus. And they didn't entertain that fault. They said, uh-uh, get behind me, Satan. They recognized it straight away and said, no, I resist that, get out. Um, so we don't know. He, he, he might have been the first and only one, but he could have approached other people and they resisted it and said no. But what we do know is Judas is the one that yielded to it. That's what we do know. Now we're talking about unseen influences. How could something like this happen? You couldn't say that Judas was running around with the wrong crowd, could you? You couldn't say he was running around with the wrong crowd and they were having uh, a bad influence on him and they were taking him down the wrong path away from God. So it wasn't the people he was hanging around with that, that uh, you know, caused this to happen. Judas was personally handpicked by Jesus himself. I mean, just think. Personally handpicked by Jesus. It doesn't get any higher than that, you know? He doesn't get any higher than that. He's, he was with Jesus every day for three years. Jesus entrusted him with the money of the ministry. He was in charge of the, he was the treasurer of Jesus Christ Evangelistic Association. Jesus trusted him enough to put him in charge of the money. He personally witnessed people being freed from demon spirits and be put in their right mind. He personally witnessed people who were blind immediately be able to see. He personally witnessed people who had never walked before in their whole life get up and walk. He personally witnessed the dead raised. He personally saw dead people raised. He personally not even saw it, but participated in feeding 20,000 people with a little picnic lunch like Ben's back there. You know, a little picnic lunch fed 20,000 people, and he was part of that. He saw it. He was hearing sermons nobody for generations had ever heard. So you can't say he was running around with the wrong crowd. How could something like this happen? Unseen influences. Somewhere along the line, 
something upset him. Something offended him or something upset him. Uh, and he began to entertain it. And he began to yield to it. And he turned sour. He turned negative. We know he was already stealing money from the treasury. We know from the Bible that was already happening. And he approached the chief priest and the elders about betraying Jesus in return for money. So we know something was motivating him for money. He wanted or needed money. And he approached the chief priest. They didn't come to him and say, if you'll turn him over to us, we'll pay you a big reward. No, he went to them and said, if you'll give me X amount of money, I'll do the job for you. So, we know he used the money to buy some land because he went and he hung himself after all this happened. So something kept niggling him, probably for weeks and months in, in, uh, in advance of this Last Supper, where it's coming right down here to where Jesus is going to the cross. Something has been niggling him, and he kept uh, entertaining the thoughts and the suggestions. Uh, you know, Jesus doesn't really appreciate what you do. You do a lot for this ministry. You get no recognition. You know, he doesn't really realize your real talent and ability. You're just doing mundane things. Why doesn't he recognize your real talents and abilities? You know, you don't get paid enough money for what you do. Uh, this is a dead-end job. You need, to be, you need to think about your future. You know, these kind of things, thoughts are going through his mind. Uh, why doesn't Jesus stand up to the Romans? If he's, I've seen him demonstrate all this power and what he can do. Why does he let these people run over us? Why doesn't he stand up to them? Why didn't he do this? Why didn't he do that? Criticism. All this stuff is building up in him. You know, all we do is travel. I'm tired of traveling. I don't want to travel anymore. All these suggestions and thoughts are building up and he's been entertaining them for weeks and probably months. And now it comes down to the Last Supper and he's sitting there smiling just like nothing is wrong. And on the inside of him, this has been eating away at him. And the Bible says, as soon as Jesus handed him that piece of bread, the devil entered him. What did he do? He gave place to the devil. He gave place to the devil. First of all, it just started with these suggestions and thoughts and entertaining them and not, and, and not casting them out, not resisting them. He yielded to them. So is it possible that even good people and good Christians can yield to wrong thoughts, wrong feelings, and wrong influences? Yeah, it's possible. That's why we're talking about it. One of the biggest ways the enemy gets a hook in you and he starts feeding you these thoughts and feelings. Let's say this out loud. Never, never... Never, never. Ever, ever. ever, ever. Feel, sorry for yourself. Feel sorry for yourself. Okay? That's one of the biggest ways the devil gets a hook into you. Could Judas have resisted these thoughts and feelings? Yeah, he could have. He didn't, he, he wasn't, he wasn't ordained from the foundation of the world to do this. No way. It was his choice. If he had resisted the devil, what would have happened? <coughs> the devil would have had to leave. He, he wouldn't have had to yield to this. The devil would have had to run from him. Amen? Hallelujah. So, no child of God ever has to yield to the devil. 
And we need to recognize uh, these unseen influences, good and bad, and, and uh, acknowledge and realize where they're coming from, resist the devil, and yield to God. So it's very important we learn what to resist and what to yield to and where these thoughts and feelings and suggestions are coming from and, and resist them in the name of Jesus because we have been authorized and empowered <clears throat> to put them under our feet, to keep them under our feet because they've already been put under our feet. They're already subject to us. We just need to exercise our authority now in the name of Jesus. Amen?